Girls always will be Aboriginal land. I'm Jess Lilly, and while Charlie is still on vacay, I am overjoyed to be welcoming Spin OG herself, Najma Sambal, back to the house. Hey. Hey, I'm back. You're back. She's back. <laughs> I think we've, we've, we've gone almost all year without a visit, which is crazy when you think that we're over half. Are we? No, nearly halfway through. Oh, don't say that. I don't am all us. over the shop. <laughs> uh, thankfully, given um, my current doolally state, we've got no guests tonight because we've got plenty to gas bag about. There's been a coro, a budjo, <laughs> a trumpo, <laughs> a trumpo, <laughs> uh, some uh, crazy car crash um, TV that is the Victorian Liberal Party, an inquiry into the Bruce Lemon trial this week, and some of the greatest drama, though, played out in the comments of the Totes Instagram posts. Uh, I don't know if we'll talk about any of it, uh, but let's – we, actually, we are later in the show going to talk about some um, some genuinely great uh, news reporting. Um, there was a, an episode of Foreign Correspondent earlier in the year titled Surviving in Somalia um, that we have both watched and wanted to have a chat about. But first, Naj, how have you been? Yeah, I've been good. How's just, the age gone? Oh, it's been going really well. So I'm a city reporter now. So watch out, councils. <laughs> I guess like um, it's just been like a lot of kind of, you know, looking into councils and, you know, seeing what they're up to. What's the um, – I, I love that um, there's – I love that there's been some great pieces that you've had out recently. There was one um, about a, a, a sports club in, in Footscray who, while the Bulldogs Oval is being sort of refurbed, has inadvertently had to share their ground with the Bulldogs for training sessions and, and found themselves sort of kicked off their own turf. Yeah, that was actually pretty um, interesting because they – what was meant to be like a great thing for the community because mm. there's not enough, as you would know, not enough green spaces in the West. Um, so the Bulldogs partnered up with the council and they both, you know, chipped in half of three million to um, refurb, revamp, whatever you want to call it, um, a really run-down reserve. But that also meant that um, a local soccer club who'd been whose home ground it's been for 20 years actually um, had to change their training days, um, which if you are aware of, you know, the little leagues, you change that and some people get really... It sucks, man. Yeah. I've, I've never seen a, a more um, sort of hot under the collar WhatsApp group as when uh, the schedule for training days and, and match times is being organised. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that had that meant that uh, Maribyrnong Green Soccer Club's um, senior team disbanded because the oh, AFL... No, that's sad, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so like the Bulldogs... Um, Took their, night, took their training night. Yeah, it took the Tuesday, the popular Tuesday Thursday um, <laughs> night, and so the poor little club will lose. Well, they estimate up to fifty k because of you know revenue from membership um, fees, and membership stuff. fees. You know, they serve a lot of um, food and drink at the matches, and a lot of adults come because it's a seniors team, and it's just such a kind of community event. But it also kind of posed the question of like these private public partnerships that mm. one of the Maribyrnong councillors, Jorge. Um, really, you know, touched on and said that, you know, these relationships are so um, – they shouldn't happen is what he's saying on public land. He said it's not bulldog's land. Yeah, um, it pub- should be – as you said, there is such little green space in, in the yeah. West. They should be reserved for community. Yeah, but it's hard as well because, um, you know – 
the Bulldogs have done a lot of great things in the West. And yeah, of they're course. kind of such a beloved club. They were saved by locals, you know, back in the day when they were on the verge of bankruptcy. Locals saved. Um, but, you know, I would have thought <laughs> as professional footballers, they can, you know, train during the day. I don't know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh. Why do they? It's like give the dudes their evening slot. I don't know. Uh, Train in the morning. <laughs> give the little club their time, for God's sake. Um, and I guess that is a broader question too. Um, look at me trying to be all serious. That's a broader question. Um, <laughs> don't worry, you don't have to answer that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how the schedule works. Are they on nine to five, like rostering? Um, clearly not because <laughs> they've kicked out. I don't know. Yeah. Um, look, I'm not the one to say, and not the one to sort it out. But that's a shame that that that, that, that a club has sort of. But this is not stopped. the first time that the Western Bulldogs have ruffled local feathers. Um, they closed the Spurling Reserve Playground during COVID. And there was a petition to reopen it after locals got a bit angry about that, and um, because they because they said the reason that they'd closed it was um, for maintenance, but they'd gone to I think when they were doing that hub during COVID that weird time that we don't like to think about. <laughs> and so there was no kind of COVID risk for people to be using Witten Oval or the playground. It was just, yeah, uh, a yeah. lot of people are very very they passionate about Wh- public spaces. They opened Witten Oval, though, during COVID, like as a um, recreational, like anyone yeah. could go in there. We we went there all the time because it was – I'm just up the road from there and, um, it, you know, you get pretty bored of going to the same – Places all the time, and we couldn't take kids to playgrounds, so we'd mm. go to Witten Oval and kick yeah. a footy and stuff. Have bit a of, run, you know, bit yeah. of somewhere else to go yeah. and within your five k. But the, I, it just reminds me of um, that time. Or it doesn't remind me of it, but it had me thinking the other day I was walking in Footscray, you know, our local stomping ground. <laughs> Footscray that res- slightly resembles a burnt out bloody <laughs> metropolis at the moment. Like I was walking in Footscray Park. And I had me thinking a lot about how I think it was 2019 when they wanted to put the Melbourne Victory Stadium there. Oh, yes. And, God, like, it just makes you think, you know, I think it it causes a lot of issues when you have, you know, councils that are very um, pro these private partnerships. But, you know, the community just turns around and goes, are you mad? (laughs) Like, that's just – and I thought about it because it's quite expansive and you're walking through and you kind of breathe a sigh of relief. You're like – Oh my god! Thank God we've got West, like Footscray Park mm. in the West, because what would we have otherwise? Like, barely got trees. I know. <laughs> like, <It's... laughs> as if they wanted to take the last thing from us. And then you've got this great race course across the road that's <laughs> built this flood barrier. And it's just almost like tale of two cities when you walk through. You have to fight for everything. It's and I don't know. Like, um, you, I, I don't. I don't hold out hope that there's going to be a massive change soon because as soon as land does come up, um, I mean the the local one now is the Woolworths in um, in West Footscray. Yeah. As soon as land does come up, of course it's going to go to private corporations who are just going to be. You know, it's profit over. They're not about to, to, to create a green space. Doesn't sell. You know, vegetables. Does it? 
well, maybe they could start in a city well, farm. You'd, ho- so. you'd hope so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh, we can talk about our local, <laughs> our local LGA anytime. Um, what I'm interested in now that you're sort of doing um, the city beat is because you would get a lot of people who know that you're on city readers in particular would be you've got like a constant tips line. You would know you would sort of understand the pulse of the readership. What sort of What's what are the most regular bugbears that people ring about? You know, writing about is it like parking? Is it green space? Is it traffic pollution? Like, what's the sort of stuff that you get constantly? Look, I've only been on the round for a couple of months now, but slowly seeing the trend for people, you know, commenting on really hyper local things like parking. Um, you know, there's an issue with Hobson's Bay at the moment where they've decided to have um, you know paid parking meters on the beach with which they didn't have before, um, not on the beach, but you know what I mean, like on yeah. that, um, the beach road. And, you know, people kick up a fuss about that. Um, anything that's kind of affecting um, rate payers is a big one. Um, and I think people always like to talk about, you know, money misspent. You know, that seems to rub people the wrong way. Um, and also, like, I think, you know, really controversial things people like to respond and just give their comment on it and like refer it back to their own council like this happened in my council too which is really good perspective because it's all really helpful but um yeah a lot of things happen in a lot of councils and it's similar (laughs) so it's like thank you (laughs) that's not really a tip is it (laughs) but good to know good to know (laughs) as a journalist you learn to kind of just soak up everything and you know it does kind of come back to you when you're writing and you kind of have this general knowledge of how things are going but you don't know where you got it from yeah and it could be from I don't know some Greg so and so from you know Smash. Yeah, exactly. they're always in Backersmash. Um, and are there regulars? Uh, uh, do you have like regular characters in your inbox? Yeah, there's obviously regular people who contact you who you've either worked, um, you've quoted them for a story before, um, so they know that um, you've got a relationship with them. They've got your number, so yeah, people hit you up with tips all the time and. Yeah, it's great, but um, you got to share the love around. And try to. I've got this vision of like Mrs. Mangles vibes. One eight hundred Nashma, call Nashma. <laughs> yeah, you know, follow me. <laughs> Send me tips. Um, yeah, all of that jazz. Triple. Ah! A little while back, foreign correspondent had an episode called "Surviving in Somalia." from reporter Stephanie March and cinematographer Matt Davis. And um, it was a pretty incredible episode that uh, looked at um, the ongoing threat of al-Shabaab militants, but then also the huge threat of climate crisis and um, just persistent drought. Naj, tell me, you watched it with your mum, who pretty much grew up you know, mm. her whole life in Somalia until um, left with you guys and with her kids and yeah. became refugees and then ended up in Australia. What was it like watching watching that report? It was shocking. Like I feel like when you really um, – and then you – like there was two things. It was an Australian journalist mm. and now I'm a journalist. I've grown up to become one. <laughs> Hi, Mum. <laughs> But it was very, yeah, it was very sad. And I just mm. looked at that and went, 
I don't know if I could do that. Like, I don't know if I could go there and report on, you know, what's essentially my people. Like, yeah, I mean, she obviously had a bit of a remove, but she was in, she was still incredibly moved. Of there was, course, there was chi- there were children who were malnourished. Uh, it was people like you know, just you know, lots of people coming into that camp. Um, with, yeah, the Dolo refugee camp. Yeah, and you know what is actually interesting? Mum and I were watching it, and you know, the huts that they were building were obviously Akals. Mm. So I did a whole show about um, about this nomadic hut that of my mum grew up in and built. But then to see it, because we did this really positive cultural show about how, like, it's such a positive thing to have an Akal, and then watching it and seeing it as, like, the source of people's survival mm. was pretty hard because, yeah. And the alcohols they were making were um, – it, it was incredible. I, I was watching it with Donnie, my son, yeah. <laughs> and he – when that came on and they all – so when a family arrived and the um, the Dolo refugee camp was really sort of – it did look like kind of in the middle of the desert, in yeah, the middle yeah. of nowhere and these and, and groups of people who, were, who would arrive, mainly women and children who had spent, you know, ten nights trekking um, – to get there mm. and um, and then together as a community that help erect yeah. these akals and they would be making them from twigs and then whatever fabrics were around and, you know, Donnie was like, oh, my God, that's amazing that they can yeah. create these incredible homes like that, yeah. you know. Um, and and, and it, it did look like a really communal sort of thing yeah. to be doing. Yeah, it was. And I think, like, it's, yeah, it's hard to kind of watch because – you know, we don't really talk about that stuff in my house about what mum experienced mm. during kind of, you know, that period of her life where it was the civil war and stuff. Um, you know, it's not, you know, breakfast conversation. You don't really dwell on it all the time. But, yeah, it was interesting to kind of look at the people who'd been walking for 10 nights, like you said, and think, oh, that's not dissimilar to what my mum did, mm. actually. Mm. And it's, yeah, it's just such an incredible experience to kind of, be able to like as an adult watch that with your parent who went through this something similar um and have it told from an Australian journalist perspective mm. it was just a lot of different threads and a very emotional watch that just yeah it, and it kind of made you go wow like I can't believe that you know <laughs> I live so far away from <laughs> you know something that's such a it has like such a profound impact on my own personal story and heritage so yeah it was a very interesting um interesting watch and in the I guess in the context of like watching a journalist report on that to be able to see the emotion that the journalist had towards the people was mm. just like oh, my goodness, like how do you how do you keep it all together sort of? Yeah, well, I mean, there was one moment where she was shaking and she said what, yeah. you, what you'll never get on, you know, you, you'll never understand is how just hot it yes. is and how harsh this environment is. And this was when she'd just spoken to, you know, a mother with two young children who'd left two children yeah. behind and they'd just walked for ten nights and one of the children was was malnourished and yeah what what was your mum's reaction watching it I think because my mum does a lot of community work and she's been over there many times and she's actually supported a lot of people like in the Ethiopian kind of disputed Somali region um where similar issues were happening with water scarcity Mm. and we've done a lot of fundraisers for that and yeah it's just like something that she's 
you know, physically kind of been through herself, um, has gone on to, you know, help others. And it's just, yeah, it was a really sad watch and it was tough. And I think like it kind of, it's, it's TV like that that inspires um, humanitarian work, of course. Well, it's it's fantastic that it's, you know, it's really um, important that the story, that that story is still being told as well because it is ongoing and it's easy to sort of let things like that go. And especially when, you know, there's all these cuts announced to the ABC and, mm. you know, it's like how do you choose what to focus on? But it actually was really powerfully made because it wasn't just, um, you know, a misery um, sort of, documentary about humanity or anything. Exactly. There was a lot. It was quite nuanced in that, you know, then they went up to Somaliland, which is a completely different sort yeah. of experience. Um, and they were talking about, you know, how um, the Al-Shabaab militants don't have any sort of popular support anymore and there is an opportunity yeah. to try and um, to squash that sort of the terrorism that's still kind of unsettling a lot of the country and that is causing the refugee crisis. But that's actually not the biggest crisis and then when they sort of talked about you know what what the climate crisis is doing and how you know especially up north like over 65 percent of somalia used to be um, covered in vegetation and it's now something like 15 percent yeah Yeah. and become harsh arid land yeah Yeah. and it's like we how how do we call ourselves an agrarian country anymore you know Mm. that and then that is just like holy yeah it i think also like it just shows the importance of like having australia to have like um foreign correspondence as well because it's not about whether the majority of the population watch that it's whether it um it speaks to you know different parts of your population Mm. and i think it's very important like us you know somalis in australia were like what ten thousand, a little bit less i'm like that is a very important story for us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we still need to get accurate information and to be informed about what's going on and to, you know, have that and that story told in this kind of um, – in a visual way as well is so accessible for a lot of people. Um, the cinematography in that was just unreal. Yeah, that was um, – uh, what was his name? Matt – Matt Davis. So yeah. it was basically Stephanie March, the reporter, and Matt Davis, the cinematographer. It was just them, really, because mm. they were the producers of it as well. I noticed in the in in the title. So really tiny crew. They had really full on security with them yeah. the whole way. Um, yeah, and I was looking at that at the end, of the credits, just thinking, I wonder how this is made. Do they like? Are they just this renegade team, <laughs> you know, ship yeah. a story to the ABC or like, I don't know, are they on staff? I don't know. They must be. Um, we were going to talk to uh, Stephanie, but she couldn't um, do it, unfortunately. So we will never have those questions answered. Um, and I was going to say um, cheekily, if you do ever see anything uh, organised by the East African Women's Foundation, then throw coin their way because Naj- that's when Najma's mum is doing incredible stuff for the community here as well. Yeah, and uh, and abroad as well. We do, um, from time to time, we do campaigns that target um, humanitarian crisis overseas and, yeah, we support a lot of people. I think as well, like, I guess there was something that came out of that um, when we were talking last year when you had the uh, the Akal Art show yeah. was um, the importance of, especially if people have been displaced or, um, you know, left um, their country not necessarily out of choice but, mm. you know, have become refugees f- for um, 
international because of war, that um, there is it's hard to connect to culture sometimes. And so when you do have those stories like African gangs, mm. you know, it's it, it can be really demoralising for, yeah. for young people. Yeah. So being able to also ha- see those stories told about your home. Yeah, exactly. I was going to mention that as well. I think like the importance of um, having context and having diversity in the reporting is that, you know, when people think of Somalia, they think of what Tom Hanks playing Captain Phillips and, you know, Somali pirates, which is, you know, which is a huge story, you know, being able to kind of hijack these international um, freight ships um, for, you know, millions of dollars of ransom. It's kind of unbelievable it's not really been done before but um to only have that as the narrative and to have that as like something that sticks with um when people think of Somalis is a bit um it's a bit ridiculous because <laughs> you know we've had a culture that's been ongoing for um many a generation so yeah it's really good to see that um there is a reporting that you know not only speaks to the crisis but also gives you know gives people agency to speak about it. I feel like the the reason that that um a piece of um news was really impactful was that people were speaking and like you knew that it was just all from the heart and Mm. it was just you know genuine and there was no agenda it was just purely this is what's happening here yeah actually that's a really interesting point because her reporting was very minimal in the sense that she Mm. wasn't on camera much she she gave some context but really that it was there was a broad range of interviews and it wasn't that kind of like overdone I'm a white person going to a dangerous land. No, not you know, at all. it wasn't that kind of it was very much giving space to people that are essentially victims mm. and letting them tell their story as opposed to making it about um which making about the reporters themselves and how kind of dangerous the situation mm. they were in was. But um it was good to also know the context um when she did speak about um, you know, Al-Shabaab hearing that they were in town. And having and to leave the camp really quickly. Exactly. It just it gave that sense of like, oh, my God, you have that, like... The threat is real for yeah, these people exactly. who have to live like, here. Exactly. So it's like you can get up and leave, go to your, mm. you know, the security of like... And the security was massive. Exactly. That was, yeah, that she had, yeah. But these people, like, who's Are looking vulnerable. out for... Yeah, so mm. vulnerable. So I think, like, oh, it was just such a well-done... Um, and there was that beautiful girl yeah. at the end with her dad yeah. who, you know, and they'd lost so much. But his absolute support of her, he's like my number one child. Yeah. <laughs> his support of her getting maintaining an education because, again, that's another knock-on effect is, you know, she was saying a lot of girls, um, because of the drought, a lot of the kids had to leave school, really, yeah. you know. And whereas she'd managed to stick it out and, yeah. and stay in school and get an education and, you know, her dad who had lost you know everything was super proud of her and you know there was that hope um yeah and since that aired there was i read there was like some flash flooding yeah through through somalia yeah there was so um the situation is not as um i suppose flash flooding is like two sides of the other coin i know it's extreme weather i know um but there's been some reprieve um Mm, from from the the drought drought. Mm. yeah there has been um which has been great for people but you know it's obviously like the effects of that are just devastating on the mm. people that, you know, live through that trauma of losing small kids. Yeah, 100%. Um, living, losing family members who they depended on, not only emotionally but for their survival. Mm. So, yeah, it is pretty like it's Yeah, pretty kids upsetting. having to go to work because of, yeah, yeah loss. Um, 
that's uh, Surviving in Somalia. It was the episode of Foreign Correspondent we've been chatting about and it is on ABC iView. Three FM. Listen, let's um, let's get into it. <laughs> Did you watch the Coro? Of course, I didn't watch that. <laughs> I no, I didn't watch it either. Um, and I'm partial to these things. Like, it's very interesting that that tradition is still going. But, yeah, God, your thoughts first. Go on. Oh, no, I mean, I didn't watch a, a thing. Like, I, I, I literally was um, much more glued to, as I mentioned at the top, the um, the comment section in, in the Totes Instagram feed. There was much more exciting drama yeah. drama happening there. Um, but I did, you know, um, sort of have a little have a little look. I was I was slightly disappointed that I f- that followed so many people on Twitter who were watching it. I found that to be weird. I was at an event and I just went, just scrolled on Twitter when but I it had just a moment. Boring man. Oh my god! And after like you know, you have two massive weddings. You have Kate and William. When was that? Two thousand and yeah. So seven? I was I was living in London for that one. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty kind of fun you know yeah. like it was the whole of the I mean I wasn't you know I didn't I did know people who went and buddy camped out and watched it oh, the people I worked with and I was like mm, no thanks yeah. I'll have a backyard barbecue um, yeah. but I did we did um, go raid the op shops and dress up in fascinators and stuff yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I you know I worked in East London and it was like the Every street was filled with bunting yeah. and, yeah. you know, this, like, every pub was like, it was shamelessly about it, yeah. you know. There was no... You could get your cups with the, you know, you get oh, your little I got, sauces. I, I've, still got a, I've still got a mug. Oh, yeah, but, you know, like Oxford Street, all the $2 shops, yeah. the rip-off shops yeah. had, you know, rip-off merch. And yeah. I've got a mug where they accidentally put um, Harry's face on it with Kate. <gasps> oh, my goodness. That's hilarious. <laughs> And the, it ages beautifully. The more the more that goes down between them, the more that uh, that yeah. mug ages so beautifully. Yeah. I was there in 2018 for the Harry and Meghan wedding. Oh, that would have been better, I reckon. Oh, it was because they're pasta. <laughs> <laughs> he had oh. no sense of timing. And it was the first time because he, once he got that microphone, oh, he wasn't going to go anywhere. He go. And it was just this... American, you know, girl meets, like, marries British royalty and she's making a point tonight of who she is. And it was just, it was absolutely fantastic. I remember just, like, and there was also the performances. Like, um, you had, like, this beautiful, like, Uh, choir. choir. Oh, my Mm. goodness. It was beautiful. What song did they sing again? I don't remember it. No, I can't. I remember being. Challenging my memory. I remember being in the council flat in Hounslow to my aunt's house and just going. This is the life, isn't it, kids? And all the kids are looking at me like, you're a loser. Oh, it was. I was there for the Olympics too. It was like that. Like just yeah. the fever took over the city. Oh, I think it's just, no, it's very fascinating. Um, this time it didn't seem to be like there was a lot of um, footage in the lead up to it. Um, did you watch that? There was that foot, football stadium, although I think it was uh, Scotland. Yeah. Um, and they were all chanting... Uh, quite melodically, yeah. you can shove your coronation. Yeah. <laughs> I think, like, the interesting thing is There's that we just had the Queen. A lot more Queen. indifference to it. The reason why it was boring is because we just had the Queen's funeral and she shut down London. 
Like, mm. so it's like, how can you top that? Like, we've just had too many really interesting, fascinating looks into how is this monarchy still going and how are they <laughs> defying the odds? Like, and so when you have, you know, Queen Elizabeth's longest, you know, reigning monarch to like die. Which, which, I mean, I guess because of her longevity, you know, people did have a certain amount of. Just everything was better. There was this authenticity with the Queen's because people actually cared about her, of course. So it's like, you know, and then just following that kind of parade around London and going, oh, my God, like, you guys do have power. Like, you, like it was just insane to kind of watch that and go to shut down London, like one of the most busiest oh, yeah. cities in the world for one person. Obviously, it's the monarch, but like it was just to watch that in real time and then be on Twitter, even the lead I up. Can, I can remember that actually now because the ceremony was, and how they'd been, you know, there'd been the document had been in the in the making yeah, for years. Of yeah, how what, to handle this? How precisely yeah. down to every second and every minute. Oh my goodness! It was just honestly that probably did a lot of good PR for them because that was like, whoa, you guys do have that kind of, like there is something there that I don't think Mm. that no other royal family on this planet can replicate. Whereas Charles. Yeah. And I like how, (laughs) look, I like how systems work as well. And when a system um, and a parade functions in this (laughs) efficient, effective way. You really are becoming the council reporter. (laughs) Yes, no, but like it's just like it's fascinating, and like we were all glued to it. And I remember watching it at home. I mean, and my sister and I were both watching it and just in awe of it, just going, "Holy shit!" This is like almost like this is like a privilege to watch in real time as a historical thing. It was like, what is going on right now? And then to have like you know Harry and all of that drama just preceding that. Oprah. Oh, God, exactly. Um, the, obviously, there's so many but pro- the coronation, problematic things with the monarchy as well, the, the, putting, the, putting that aside. And the coronation is just boring because it, it, it just goes to the same, like, we want a republic. And it's like, oh, I want gossip the cov- right now. Yeah, the coverage was sort of, I mean, I didn't like it. I said, I didn't watch the actual thing. But, you know, even the controversy is kind of like, <laughs> the co- you know, the monarch- Australian Monarchist League are calling for ABC to apologise because they had a yeah. republic a discussion about the republic it's just like ah oh, please yeah but i yeah that's our oh, please moment but i have a different opinion to that as well because i'm like just uh, let the conversation about republic happen and i know you're like it should happen stronger but i'm also like this is an entertainment art. Oh, no. I want I'm to not, purely I, see the entertainment. I want to know what diamonds have been stolen from where. I want to know <laughs> how long that, you know, cloak has been sitting in storage for before it's been dusted off for today's event. I want to know, like, who designed certain things. I want to know how much the flowers cost. Like, I just want to know the cosmetic things about this. Did they do this. all that? I, and to be honest, I'm sure I'm not, they would have. But I'm not I'm saying, in for a conversation about the Republic. To be honest, after it, seeing the way the voice conversation is going, it's like spare us any of these sorts of public think, conversations in this country. I think it just kind of like, it just kind of, it sounds bad saying it spoils the fun. Like we're just mm. here to have a bit of a gossip and a bit of a laugh and now we're having real serious conversations and it's like can we have that after, the day after? Like time but, and place. Like, but don't you want uh, – if you want to see all that sort of stuff, don't you have to be invested in the people too because, you know, are you – No, I'm bored. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Are I'm you bored. Have any I just want to have a bit Charles? of fun. 
But don't you have to be invested in Charles and Camilla, seeing them sit on the throne and be like, oh, yeah, they deserve those. No, no, no. It's not coming from – I think that's the problem. I think I look at it from an entertainment lens and, of course, it should be criticised from – you know, the historical kind of atrocities and all of that stuff. But I think when it comes to the big events like the coronation, I just want to know how much everything costs taxpayers. And I just, like, you know what I mean? I don't want to be bogged down in this unnecessary, which straight up unnecessary commentary on Republic stuff. I'm like, too's boring. Like, it's headed that way. It's going to happen. Like, most people think it's a little bit ridiculous um, that this country's, you know, still swearing to allegiance to, you know, a country that does nothing. Well, even that, I don't don't think, even there there was an attempt to get some sort of, Outrage over that, the fact that Albanese had said he'd swear allegiance and it just no one bit, you know, it was it was kind of like whatever. That's what I mean. It just became a bit like, oh, so, like it is contentious so I'm not going to sit here and say it's not but it's just it becomes tired and hackneyed and that's a way to put people off of the actual legitimacy of the debate. It's mm. like... Time and place, there's timing is everything in this world and I just felt like... But there uh, is also, like, I do understand... But when else are they going to talk about it? So, uh, But also, like, the, it was outrageous. The, the, the pictures, you know, that I did see of these people draped in these freaking cloaks and all that sort of shit, it does... There is a, a huge kind of... The fact that we are in one of the biggest cost of living crises yeah. in a long time and... In the UK, there is, you know, a government that is really stamping down on, yeah. you know, people's rights, um, especially rights to, you know, protest and who are also going doing a massive anti-immigration yeah, yeah. kick and, you know, people are really suffering cost of living crisis. It's like this is possibly not the best time oh, <laughs> for this <laughs> level of, like, opulence and, you know. I don't think it's ever the best time to have a coronation in the 21st century. <laughs> true, <laughs> it's been true. real, but at the same time, I think like I think um, I think it's a bit of history that whether people think it's run its course or not, it's still around, and it's. I just want to be able to be informed about it, but I don't want to sit there and have to listen to a debate about it. Um, to the extent that it was on the ABC. Sorry. Don't yeah, wanna, I, I don't. I'm, it all passed me by. I missed yeah. it all. I missed absolutely every little bit about it. There was one, um, there was one, what was it, the most complained about media moment in the UK? Oh, yeah. So that was the Bridgerton star um, who is black and she was on the panel and she said, you know, the, seeing the diversity in the Abbey was so great, but then you look up at the this all-white balcony and it's got like over 4,000 complaints because of that oh, comment. like looking like up the, at Buckingham Palace balcony. when they all came yeah, out and waved. when the family comes out. And I just, like, <laughs> why would you even say that? Like, it's pretty it's, funny. It's, it's, how do they get re- – well, does... what, what do you want diversity quotas in people's families? Like, oh, you shouldn't have posted a picture of your family because it's too white. <laughs> embarrassing i think you know i think she just she made it she misspoke misjudged and i think it was just perfect fodder for like like it is funny because it's ridiculous and it's perfect fodder for the the people who are on a um you know who are on the right and who are like 
woke culture's gone too far. And it's like, yeah, they're kind of right. <laughs> The poor girl probably just. She said she's apologised for any offence that kind of caused, and she didn't mean to offend, and that wasn't her thing. And I think sometimes she probably just in the moment needed to say something, was just looking at it, and just went, "Oh, they're all very white, aren't they? Exactly. Well, they're all related. Yeah, (laughs) very, very related. (laughs) Very, very much so. There was some interesting timing in that, um, you know, because obviously Harry, uh, black sheep in the family. Uh, has um, bought uh, has an ongoing case against the um, British tabloids for historical wrongdoing, um, and the Mirror Group have apologised to him apparently, but it's it's still ongoing. And it was just incredible timing that um, some of the evidence that was heard like days out of the coronation was regarding the um, extended, well, you know, his father essentially mm. trying to stop him from going public with complaints yeah. um, about um, his treatment in the tabloids, particularly phone hacking. Yeah. Which doesn't look good for Charles either. Oh, but that would have been the firm. Mm. <laughs> they would have been like, we've got a great relationship with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, it so, was very much like. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. They'll apologise. Don't worry. We'll get an apology out of them eventually. Just don't ruffle the the feathers. Oh, God. What a, what a sad existence that mm. that's your trade-off for being born into the royal family, that you have to toe that line. Um, yeah. Well, you know what? God bless Oprah. <laughs> Ready to blow their spot up. <laughs> oh God, I, I'm trying to remember what was the um, oh, what was the thing that came out of that. <clears throat> uh, I'll remember. I'll remember in a minute. Who was having that conversation? You oh, mean that part yeah, when was, she was talking about yes. skin color? <laughs> and it was like all these memeable moments. <laughs> Yeah, and the shock in her so face, like oh, so American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was something like it was a surprise, but was I surprised? No, Do you know oh, what I mean? That yes, was that one. Um, were you um, silent or were you silenced? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a classic. Oh, so good. Oh, I swear we were all connected in a different way during the kind of pandemic. That was pandemic. We were thirsty for shit like that. Wow, we? we were so connected and now like – Twitter, I don't even go on the thing. Oh, no. I mean, it's there's a lot of problems. But, hey, there's recently been something that's resurged kind of the old Twitter, you know, camaraderie with Biggerless Stickerless. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love that to me. What was that? Oh, okay. So, um, you know how, yeah, every time I pretty much go, that's it, I'm done with Twitter, it just brings out that incredible kind of moment of magic that you just, no other social media platform has had has had before and yeah. will ever have again. So there's a guy um, who is uh, at uh, Mask of Bun, but his um, screen name is Biggerless Dickless Wolfwood. <laughs> And he tweeted, um, his tweet was, read this, do not look up anything about it, just read it. It's only like 200 pages. You can download it on Audible. It's only like four hours. Do it right now. I'm very extremely serious. And it was um, a book by Amal Al-Malta called This Is How You Lose the Time War. Sorry, Amal Al-Malta. And it says Max Gladstone as well, but it's Amal um, who has been tweeting about it since. But anyway, a bunch of people in um, the comments were just like, 
yes, this is the most amazing thing ever. And then it just went off. And I think it's had like um, 12,000 likes, um, you know, 11,000 retweets. And anyway... No, it's like 100,000 plus, I'm pretty sure. I was looking at it today. 9.4 million views. Oh, oh sorry, 121,000 likes. Yeah, yeah. You're right, sorry. Um, anyway, they've sent the book from nowhere to the top of the Amazon, Amazon bestseller list and um you know simon and schuster uh you know tweeting things like well uh i didn't know uh who biggest dickless was before this morning but now thank you thank you very much yeah we are incredibly grateful and the author was like i don't know what's going on right now but i have immense gratitude to biggest dickless <laughs> you know what's crazy though like we all need a biggest dickless like <laughs> It was such a strong endorsement. It was almost like you're an idiot if you haven't read this book. What are you doing? It's four hours. Get it now. Like it was like those you know old school Australian ads. Were like doors, doors, get your doors. You know, We've got long doors, short doors, glass doors. I'm like, I'm deceased. We all need a big list. We do. God, imagine working so hard on a novel. Only getting like, not to say this person only got a short number of sales, but like you work on a novel and your dream is to have it hit number one or at least be top ten <laughs> or at least have a packed out, you know, launch for God's sakes. You know, we're all riding on a big stick <laughs> for our break. I have to play a song. We'll be right back. We're going to have a short moment. We're losing our cool. Melbourne's own Triple R. All right, I'm... We're back. I've... Co- <laughs> Temporary moment of insanity. <laughs> I've composed myself uh, and um, this is why we miss you so much, Najma, because... <laughs> I've missed radio. <laughs> I apologise to listeners, I am a bit rusty, but... No, no, that was classic. Classic Najma Sambul <laughs> territory. Got any big stories coming up? Yes, you'll have to subscribe to The Age. <laughs> um, you already do, so that's amazing. Yeah, I do. Yep, 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 um, yeah if, if people want to, you know, stay up to date with my reporting, you may f- feel free and welcome to subscribe to The Age and enjoy many of the great, you know, journalism we offer with a lot of my great colleagues. In the city team also, shout out them. That's, um, um, we're going to, I reckon the Triple R sponsorship team will probably be on to you tomorrow to be asking for some coin for that. Uh, oh, yeah, that, this no, is I'm just taking. relentless free promo <laughs> for the nine papers. So. <laughs> um uh, Victorian Liberal Party new development and like every that, week it's unbelievable <laughs> like they've gone it's it's amazing how um, they've gone from sort of um, you know everything used to happen behind the te- the behind the scenes tight lipped button up you know all the bloodletting was in the party room but. Jesus, it's all very public. Well, it's all very the, public now. I suppose the ones who were silent were New South Wales Liberals. I've always felt that Victoria had a lot of loose lips. Oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, recently for sure. I think, yeah, the stakes are probably higher. There's a bit of a reshift in reorganisation. So, yeah, I think it's so interesting to see it play out because it's almost like I haven't really been uh, – you know, kind of reading political stories since the election. Because last year was a massive year. You had federal election, state election. And then now it's almost like, whoa, is it another election? Because it's just so much... You know, just well, so much news. About calling the next federal election before the end of next year, and it's like, oh my god, already. Um, but anyway, that'll be interesting. Moira, Moira Deeming has given um, 
uh, given John Pesudo a notice for defamation. Yeah, a defamation. I think the preceding. Yeah, the preceding before I don't know what it's you. Called. It's the it's the first stage basically. Yeah, concerns notice. Yeah, concerns notice. Yeah. Um, That's not a good day to be John, is it? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you're going to flirt with the far right and, and introduce people to the party who don't have the history and the sense of kind of commitment to the party, then I don't know, what do you expect? wasn't him, though, was it? What do you mean? Who brought her in? Yeah. Oh, no, of course not. That's the... That's the push and pull within the Liberal Party now. It's like, are you going to go right or are you... But I suppose there's a real core, you know, freedom of speech and um, Mm. real kind of liberal value in that sense. So it's interesting to see how it plays out because it's like, if not the Liberal Party... He's not squeaky clean. Like, he's perhaps made a massive misstep. Yeah, but if not the Liberal Party to have a diversity of views where... And, yeah, diversity of views very lightly... Using that, <laughs> but um, yeah, suppose it's interesting. And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us every week on your favorite podcast platform, and you can follow us on Twitter at Nadge Samble, at Lily Juice, and at The Shuffle Diary. You can also listen in at rrr.org.au via on demand for the radio version of the show. Want to support Spin Cycle? Become a Triple R subscriber. Your subscription helps keep the station running and helps Triple R produce and create great radio and podcast content like this.